says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And Father, we humbly ask for the help of your Holy Spirit this morning as we open the word of God, continuing now in our worship towards you. We pray, Lord, the condition of our hearts and our willingness to receive what you want to say to us would just be a pleasing act of worship towards you. Lord, we don't want to hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking what we need to hear in our heart individually this morning. So bless your word. Speak to us now by your Spirit's ministry. We ask together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when we think of a diamond, often we envision something very beautiful, very valuable, very meaningful, But it's important that we remember, though they don't fully understand exactly how diamonds are formed, one thing is certain is that diamonds are produced from great heat and intense pressure being applied. And that same thing takes place really in the spiritual life. Some of the most beautiful, some of the most valuable, some of the most meaningful spiritual experiences come to pass as the result of fires and pressure and intense things being applied to our lives as we endure through difficulties and challenges and hardships of this current world. And that's really what our passage is intending to teach to us today. Here is really a reality that's probably not our favorite thing to think about, but it's one of those realities that just really helps to get through life to embrace, and that's this, that this isn't heaven. And that life on this earth is not easy. It's not problem-free. It's not absence of its difficulties or challenges for anyone. In fact, it often includes routine encounters with problems and pressures and stress and difficulties and unexpected challenges. In fact, remember, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will experience tribulation. Again, he emphasized in this world. 
in the afterworld, when we're in the presence of the Lord, we don't have to be concerned about that. But in this world, Jesus being God himself in the flesh, Jesus having lived in the flesh as a man, wanted all of us to know in human existence, we need to understand that part of human existence involves difficulties, challenges, trouble at times, struggles, because our present world is plagued by the curse of sin. As the result of that, it's a struggle in the journey here on this fallen world. There are difficulties and hardships, and Jesus wanted us to know that we have to navigate those challenges as a part of our human existence. Yet often through the heat and pressure and stresses and challenges in this world, some of the most valuable spiritual experiences come to pass for our lives as human beings. God is a way, does he not, of using this world's challenges to reveal things to us about himself. Often we recognize that. In fact, in this very text that we're going to look at this morning, Paul shares his heart with these believers and he openly addresses, you saw in our reading, he speaks of things like tribulation and troubles. He mentions burdens and being afflicted, but he also speaks of experiencing God's comfort in the midst of those things, experiencing God's power and God's deliverance. He also describes how there are valuable and beneficial purposes that God can use in the midst of hardships and suffering to know him more deeply and actually also be more equipped to help other people around us a lot more effectively. So look with me, if you would, back in our text in verse 3, Paul says there in the opening, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, he says, verse 4, in all our tribulation. So notice, as Paul opens up this section addressing very clearly human struggle, suffering, burdens, trouble at times in our life, You notice he opens the section by giving praise to God for being the solution to all human hardships. It's interesting to me, rather than focus first on the problems, which he does ultimately address and openly admit regarding his own life and the life of others, rather than focus first on the problems which do exist and talk about the problems, which is usually our pattern, he opens with an expression of praise towards God, talking about how good God is in the midst of problems. Interesting, Paul says there, verse 3, looking at the text, he says, blessed be, and that term blessed be there in the original language, that term is where we actually get our English word today, eulogy, or to eulogize. And many of us know what that is. A eulogy is basically that part in a memorial or funeral service where somebody shares good things about that person who's passed. They speak of that person in a positive light, in a favorable way to basically portray them in a favorable, honorable manner before other people. So Paul interestingly uses that term here as he says, blessed be God. It indicates what Paul wants to do is he wants to praise and honor God for his goodness, even though life is kind of bad sometimes. And he says, yeah, life's hard. Yeah, sometimes life is bad, but thanks be to God that he's good. 
and that he's there to help us and that he's there to comfort us and assist us and uphold us in the midst of difficulties. For those of us who are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful thing of a heavenly father who's perfect and loving and wise in all his ways to support and strengthen us in difficulties. In fact, in our text in verse 3 there, notice Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, gives two titles describing our God. The first one he uses there in verse 3 is he calls him the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. And the idea there of Father implies the source, the origin. That's what a father does. A father gives you know, origin to life. So he says God is the source or origin, the one who supplies what's needed for us. And particularly, he says, what he's the source and origin of, he's the father of mercies. And the idea there of mercies implies having pity on us in our weaknesses, doing what is necessary to compassionately alleviate the full weight of hardship, giving mercy, not giving us or allowing us to experience maybe all that we could or all that we deserve. That's the idea of mercy is that God mercifully intervenes in his compassion and love. Our loving Father steps in to supply mercy to ease the burden, to alleviate some of the pressure when the pressure is on, to do what he can to carry some of the load to bear it for us so we're not experiencing the full brunt of being crushed and when we feel overwhelmed. He compassionately restrains the full brunt for us. You know, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 103, that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities us. He knows our frame that we are dust. See, the very God that created you and I understands our human frailty. He knows the weakness of us in our humanity. He understands that. And because of that, knowing we're weak and frail, that motivates him to show us mercy to be a father that's merciful towards us because he understands our weakness. And how wonderful the Bible tells us that God's mercies are new morning by morning. That is every morning, even after a hard day or a bunch of hard days in a difficult season, you can get up the next morning and there's more mercy. There's mercy again. Like the ocean waves that never cease, there's just there's a fresh batch of mercy, a fresh, and Lord, thank goodness, Lord, there's fresh mercy for today because I can't live on yesterday's mercy, Lord. And how wonderful that God is that source of mercy, a heavenly father who's not demanding in his expectations. You know, maybe you didn't have a, a good earthly father. Maybe your earthly father was harsh or demanding in his expectancy or difficult with you or maybe completely absent. Listen, that's not God's nature. The Heavenly Father's nature is a nature of mercy, to be merciful towards us in our weakness. He also calls him as well there in verse 3, the God of all comfort. And the idea of comfort there is a term in the language that speaks of to come alongside to help, to assist or to strengthen one that can't handle what they're dealing with. That's the idea there. God gets personally involved in the life of you and I when we're hurting, when we're struggling. He gets personally involved to alleviate the pain, to alleviate sorrow or grief or whatever we are suffering through and dealing with. That's part of God's very nature. The Bible says he's the God of all comfort. It's a part of his very nature to be inclined to want to comfort those 
who are struggling among humanity. See, God fully understands better than any of us, having watched the fall of you know, Adam and Eve and sin entering into the world and knowing the ramifications, all that would bring. Again, remember, the Bible <clears throat> tells us that God is the beginning and the end. So if there's anybody that's aware of human suffering, it's God. Because he was there at the beginning and somehow in the greatness of who he is, he's already there in the end. He encompasses everything in humanity. He's lived through every war, through every horrible thing in human existence, every person's trials and trials and difficulties. And there's never something that comes up that God goes, well, I've never seen that before. God understands fully human suffering to the greatest degree. He understands how sinful and selfish human beings make mistakes and fail and do wrong things at time and how that then contributes to the pain and suffering of regret and hardship or how selfish and sinful human actions can wound other people and traumatize them. He understands how in a fallen world system that there's sickness and disease and struggles with health and these kind of things as the result of the curse of humanity. He understands how sin's effect on the human race causes the death process and how we're forced to go through times of grief or sorrow when we lose someone that we love greatly and there's sort of no category in our brain to pull a file to understand how do you deal with this? God understands that difficulty and really is compassionate towards it because it was never part of his heart initially, but yet he understands it. God understands the attacks of Satan that come against you and I's lives and how Satan sometimes effectively can cause incredible ruin in families and destroy marriages and bring trauma to children and how the devil seeks to just rob and kill and destroy. God has watched this and is aware of the experiences and humanity as it goes on and knowing people are hurting in various ways, God is inclined to want to comfort people. And there's a lot of comfort that's needed in humanity. And so God is the God of all comfort in the midst of our experiences, whether it's pain physically or hurting emotionally, God can comfort by his presence and his power. He can ease and he can heal the hurt, the grief, the difficulty. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us in Psalms that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And then it also goes on to say in another place, the Lord heals the brokenhearted. That's God's nature. God is magnetically drawn in a greater way. He's always present, but he's magnetically drawn when someone's heart is broken. He, he ushers in his presence in a more deep and intimate way. That's a good reminder for us. When somebody's brokenhearted, do you know what you should be doing at that time? You should, you should be positioning yourself to draw closer to them. Because when somebody's heart is broken, my understanding is that's where God's going, then I guess that's where I should go. Their heart's broken. That person's got a broken heart. This all should stop. If God's going to that person, then we should be going to that person. The Bible tells us as well in the New Testament that God comforts the downcast. So as God sees pain or a person discouraged or hurting in any way, it's his very nature to provide comfort. And I love what it says in verse 4 that he's the God of all comfort, not just some comfort, of all comfort. That is whatever kind of comfort is needed. And right, different life experiences require kind of different types of comfort, whether it's physical pain or emotional grief 
or maybe something painful that we're dealing with in our life, whatever you are going through, God has the exact amount of comfort you need and the exact kind of comfort you need for your specific struggle or situation. He's the God of all comfort. He's very experienced in comforting people. And what a wonderful thing, because the reality is this. Unfortunately, people in their limitation cannot always understand how to comfort one another. We can't even always adequately comfort one another, even if we try to in good intention. Yet an all-knowing and ever-present and limitless and all-sufficient God can provide all comfort in any situation, whatever you need, he can be faithful to supply that comfort. Oftentimes, I think we even can make a mistake sometimes when we're hurting or struggling. We can tend to look to other people to comfort us. And I'm not saying that's wrong to a degree. But the truth be told is sometimes when we look to the comfort of other people in the midst of our difficulty, maybe even before we look to God, we sometimes end up finding ourselves very disappointed and more disillusioned, and then we're suffering on top of what we were suffering. (laughs) Or sometimes, let me caution you, when we're struggling and we look to others for comfort, many a people have maybe made a mistake because they've gotten themselves into a situation or relationship seeking comfort to cope with what they've gone through, and they seek comfort in wrong ways. And they end up getting involved in things with other people they probably never should have because they were seeking to cope or find comfort through a person And it actually became an unhealthy thing that backfired and caused more pain and problems. Look, let God be the source of your primary comfort. It's what he wants and it's what he's able to do. That's what Paul says at the beginning of verse 4. It's not just God's nature to be the God of all comfort, but look, it's what God does. He says, verse 4, he comforts us in all our tribulation. So Paul openly admits, in all our, including himself, tribulation doesn't matter if you're Paul the Apostle faithfully serving Jesus Christ or or tribulation, challenges, trials are something for all of us. That word Paul uses, tribulation there, is a term that speaks of being under the heavy load of crushing pressure. It was a term that was used to describe an animal bearing a burden and the animal being too weighed down by too much that it actually is crushing the animal and it can't even continue to go forward. It also was a term that was used to describe as a form of torture when they, as a way of torture, would put a a board or wooden structure on the chest of a person then continue to apply more and more weight until it literally squeezed and suffocated a person, crushing them. That's the term Paul uses there for tribulation. The idea there is, is not something minor, but the experience of a crushing weight of circumstances being overwhelmed where it literally makes you feel like maybe you're not only struggling, but actually suffocating under the load of it. The weight of something very difficult, times and situations when it's just hard and difficult, the trouble and problems. And as a result of that, then we're, we're wearied under the load. Or we find ourselves just you know, hurting physically or emotionally, downcast, discouraged. But look, he says, it's in those times that the God of all comfort, he comes in and he gets personally involved and God comforts us in the midst of all of our tribulation. It's not just theologically who God is. In a very personal, direct way, God himself, the almighty God, condescends in a human personal direct way in your life and shows up 
in your bedroom in that dark hour, in the difficulty when you're sitting in your car shedding tears or when you're going through the hardest times in your life, he comes with his presence and we actually experience his direct comforting presence in our life in a very real way in a very personal way where you can tell it's God applying his comfort again and not just in some tribulation but he says in all our tribulation again God never fails he never he never misses a trial he never fails to show up and again you know as well as I do there may be times when people don't show up in the midst of your hardship whether it's just their unfaithful or, or fickle or whether it's you know maybe they just couldn't be there they couldn't show up they would have liked to but they couldn't but I tell you this God always shows up he will always show up he will never miss a trial or a difficulty the Bible says God is our refuge and our strength and an ever present help in time of trouble so when trouble comes God's ever present and he's there to help you know, perhaps today you need God's comfort. Please know God is near and he is waiting, wanting for you to look to him and to say, God, I need that. I need you to comfort me. No person has been able to comfort me, but God, you can. You can comfort me in the midst of this. And Paul then goes on, verse 4, to describe as well some of the benefit or purpose at times that can even come out of experiencing trouble and then receiving God's comfort. Look what he says as we go on in verse 4. He says, He comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able then to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So notice, one of the reasons at times God may allow me or permit you to go through trouble or a hardship or some form of suffering or difficulty as we all do is to actually then, as he brings us his comfort in the midst of that, make us more equipped to be able to help other people when they're in trouble, when they're suffering, when they're struggling in hardships. The reality is everybody around us, folks, has either gone through, is going through, or will go through their own share of struggle, suffering, hardship, human difficulties. He says everyone around us is going through their own things. Everybody around us. People are losing loved ones. People are finding out they have cancer. People are losing jobs. People are struggling. Marriages are falling apart. People are stressed out all around us. Each person to some degree. You know, if I can illustrate, to me it's almost like the world is, is like, a, like a walking war zone. We periodically like to watch stuff that you know, shows you know, military battles and, you know, on TV once in a while. And, and there's, there's just such a tremendous respect I have when you know, they show these combat scenes. And you see these guys in the midst of combat and just the carnage and the suffering and the wounded people around them and they're trying to help one another and press on themselves and, and I look at that and, and to me I think what a fitting illustration honestly our world folks it's like a war zone and there's a lot of walking wounded all around us people may not be bleeding physically outwardly but there are wounds in people. Things have blown up. Families have exploded. Things have happened in people's lives. And people are walking around with wounds and hurts in their lives inwardly. And the God of all comfort wants to comfort people 
in their troubles. And one of the ways that he does that is through available and willing servants. Those who are willing to say, God, I sense that you want to comfort that person and we're willing to make ourselves available to be used by God to bring his comfort into that person's life. You know, I understand we look sometimes when people are hurting and we think who in the world is prepared to get involved in that, right? I mean, in the same way, I don't care who you are. Nobody wants to look at a battle zone and go, sure, I'd love to just run out there and potentially get shot and get blood over my hands and get involved in carnage. And, and sometimes we're like that with one another's people. We think, look, I'm having enough trouble just trying to survive myself. You want me to help other people? I mean, just that's too difficult. It's too challenging. How could I be equipped for that? Well, he tells us, verse 4, how we're equipped. He says the way we're equipped, he says, is that sometimes God lets us suffer through things and then he comforts us so that we're then more equipped to be able to bring the comfort we've received from God and deliver that comfort to other people. Because you know as well as I do, when we experience our own challenges and hardships and suffering in ways at times to degrees, and then God comforts us in the process, that better enables us to be comforters to others. You know, we all know the reality that when you go through a few things, you become a little bit more understanding. You become a little bit more compassionate. You become a little bit more sympathetic towards others. And rather than being critical, you find yourself maybe sometimes being a little more concerned and caring about not just what happened or whose fault it is, like a, you know, a police officer showing up to a scene. Okay, who did it and who's in trouble? And, 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 you know, and that's their job. They show up. They're supposed to investigate who's at fault. But then also at an accident scene, who else shows up? Paramedics. And when the paramedic shows up, they're not asking who hit who, who made the mistake. That's the police officer's job, to do due diligence in law. The paramedic cares about one thing. There are hurting, bleeding, wounded people. How can I comfort? How can I heal? How can I help? And see, when we go through some stuff, we get more of that paramedic-type heart God puts into us. We develop an openness because we've received comfort in the midst of what we went through. And now we say, you know what? I want to pass that on to somebody else. Maybe I could show somebody else some of the comfort that God showed to me and how God helped me. Often God will bring us through that process. That's why he says there in verse 4, we're comforted with God's comfort. So he says, when those around us are in trouble, we can comfort them with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God with. That is, we can pass it on. And, and that typically a lot of times will be the pattern. Perhaps you've noticed Sometimes God will bring us through a process, does he not, in our life? Because God in his sovereignty knows that two weeks from now or two months from now or maybe a year from now, we're going to cross paths with someone else and encounter someone who's going through similar things. And they go through it a month after or a week after or a year after we went through it and God took us through the process and now we're better equipped with compassion and understanding and knowing what God did for us to want to pass on that comfort to them and then be the vessel, an instrument whereby we can comfort them in a way. And a lot of times that's what makes us a lot more you know, appealing for somebody maybe to be receptive to us because they're aware, hey, I went through that. You know, nobody can look into the eyes of another person who has cancer and be better to help them than somebody who's had cancer, right? 
because somebody else who's had cancer and maybe going through cancer can look at somebody else and say, I know exactly what you're feeling like. I remember when I got the report. Or I remember when I got the diagnosis. Or somebody who's lost a loved one. They say, look, I, and again, it's not theoretical information. It's personal experience. And let me tell you what I felt like and what God did for me through the process. And there's something very valuable as God equips us. So one of the things God can use in the midst of suffering and being comforted is he equips us to be better to minister to people. And there's a lot of ministry, folks, if you want to help hurting people. You'll never lack for ministry. I can't promise you you might not get to be a missionary or be behind a pulpit, but I'll tell you this, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, you want to minister to some hurting people, you'll never lack for ministry. There's plenty of it available. Plenty of it available. And as God brings us through things, we're able to greatly help others. Paul says, verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, he says, abounds through Christ. So notice Paul alludes here, verse 5, to how his followers of Jesus... Our sufferings and the comfort that we partake of, he says, it actually also is many times directly linked, he says, verse 5 here, to our intimacy with Jesus. Sometimes the way we suffer is linked to actually what Jesus himself suffered. You see what he says in verse 5 there? He says the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ are what abound in us. Sometimes we will suffer as the result of our decision to follow Christ, the sufferings of Christ. And because you choose to follow Christ or you choose to do what honors Jesus in a situation and do his will, what did Paul say, writing to Timothy? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the sufferings of Christ. In the same way, sometimes we suffer in a way that's similar to what Christ himself actually suffered. And sometimes we experience what's called the fellowship the partnership sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And sometimes we will go through experiences that actually are similar to what Jesus went through, being misunderstood or betrayed or mistreated or hurt or, again, whatever. And, and we go through certain things that Jesus, our Lord himself, went through. And through that, we're more bonded to Jesus because we associate with our Lord. More Lord, is this what it felt like when you went through that? And through that, our bond and intimacy with Jesus is further developed as we partake of the sufferings of Christ. He says, as we suffer as Christians, it also drives us to Christ for our comfort because he also mentions in this verse, verse 5, that we also experience the consolation or comfort, he says, verse 5, through Jesus. That is, that's where we go to find our comfort, through Jesus. And it develops our intimacy as a follower of Christ. As we draw close to Jesus, we find that walking with him and receiving from him and relying on him is the only thing that keeps our head above water and keeps us journeying on in the midst of the difficult and hard valleys. Despite the challenges and problems we face, we discover my Lord gets me through every storm because he's on board with me. You know, Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 4, talking about times of, you know, enjoyment and prosperity and times of difficulty and hardship and want. That's when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so often our intimacy with Jesus is cultivated in the midst of these kind of experiences, Paul says. Verse 6, he goes on to say, now if we're afflicted, it's for, notice he says, your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring of the same sufferings, 
with which we also suffer. Or, he says, if we are comforted, same way. It is also, he says, for your consolation and comfort. So notice what we learn from verse 6 here. Paul had come to realize that what God allowed him to go through in both the suffering at times as well as the times when he was consoled and comforted, Paul said, you know, we've come to recognize that what God allows to happen in our life, oftentimes it's bigger than just us. It's not just about us. We've come to realize sometimes as servants of the Lord, we experience and go through things personally and it's ultimately connected to you, to others. God uses what we experience to position us in a place where we are better able then to be of benefit and help to other people. You notice verse 6, he speaks again of enduring suffering. He speaks of being afflicted, wounded, hardship. And then he again speaks of being comforted. But notice in verse 6 there, he says these things also are effective, he says, verse 6, to accomplish an end result. And what is that end result? Well, you notice two times here in one verse, he makes reference to the same thing. He says, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and your comfort. And then he says, and if we're comforted, it's for your salvation and your comfort. In other words, what Paul was trying to convey here is he says, we see it this way. God may allow us to go through certain things and really what we're going through, it's bigger than just us. It's actually God allowing us to go through what we went through and in his sovereignty doing multiple things at once, also positioning us to be in the best place to be helpful to you or to actually comfort you or even lead some of you to a place where you may ultimately get saved. And Paul was able to see this bigger picture that the Lord may allow things with servants of Christ at times that position us to be in a place where it's about more than just us. Hey, this morning, can I ask you by way of application, what if what you're experiencing personally is actually going to position you to be in a better place to help some other person or to benefit someone else? And maybe what you're going through could be a part of God's sovereign process as God does 17 things at once to ultimately put you in a place where you're best able to serve somebody else as an end result. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to trust God with that? What if what you experience and I go through, even at times pain or hardship, actually results in the salvation of another person? Are you okay with that? Are you willing to trust God that his purposes of his kingdom supersede everything else? Paul says, look, whether we're suffering or whether we're comforted, it's for your consolation and your salvation and we're okay with that. We're okay that God and his sovereignty can work in our life to ultimately work through our life. You know, it takes great spiritual surrender. It's tough to think that way, but to realize we say as Christians, my life's not my own. Do we understand what that means? My life's not my own. I'm a servant of Christ. And Lord, what you will, put me where I can for the most to be saved and people to be helped. Paul goes on, verse 7, to say, and our hope therefore for you is steadfast because we know That as partakers, participants in the suffering, so also, he says, you will partake or participate as well of the consolation or comfort. So verse 7 here, Paul's expressing his confidence of how he knew and I think had observed that the Lord, 
equally gives faithfulness in his help and hardships to everybody. Paul's saying in verse 7, we are confident that what the Lord's done for us in our hardships, sufferings, and then the consoling us, we are confident that you'll partake of the same things and that God won't show partiality. That's what he's saying there in verse 7. He says, even as we know that you're going to partake in your share of sufferings, he says, we're also confident that God is going to be impartial and you're going to participate in the Lord's consolation as well. I think Paul wanted his you know, listeners who he's writing to and trying to minister to understand, look, he's, I, I, please understand, you Corinthians, I know you love Jesus like I do, but he says, God's not going to excuse you from hardship. Just because you love Jesus or you follow the Lord or you do the right things, that doesn't mean you become immune to problems. He's saying, look, you're going to partake of suffering just like we partake of suffering. You don't have to be out of here on the mission field like us to be super saints and partake of suffering. In your auto body shop and you know, in your office and at the factory and in your family, once in a while you're going to partake of suffering just like we do, Paul's saying. But he says, I know this. God also will be impartial and you'll also receive the same comfort that we do. God will comfort you and help you in the same way he's comforted and helped us because he loves you just as much as he loves us. And he's going to assist you in the same manner. Paul, I think, verse 7, that's why he says, that's why our hope for you is steadfast and sure. Paul's saying, we are hopeful that you're going to be okay through your tough times because God's going to see you through just like he does us. That's what Paul's conveying there. He's saying, look, we find great hope and sureness in understanding that though we can't always help you, that God will always be there with you to do that for you. And I think Paul's heart here, he found great encouragement as someone who loved others. The idea is he understood other people are going to suffer just like he suffered, but Paul understood, I don't have to worry about you shipwrecking because if Jesus is on board with you, just like he's on board with us, He's going to get you to the other side. And what a wonderful thing to be able to have that confidence for those we care about, love, you know, worry about when they go through hard things and we want to help at times, to be able, just like Paul, to be able to rest assured that, look, that same reality exists for everybody. You can't protect, no matter how hard you try, listen even as parents, you can't protect everybody you love from some form of suffering, struggle, and hardship. But what you can do is be steadfast in your hope and assurance that even though they're going to suffer through things, they don't have to shipwreck. Because if Jesus is on board with them, he'll get them to the other side. He'll get them to the other side. And you can help in prayers, Paul says in verse 11, and trust that the Lord will faithfully do that for him. Well, Paul, coming to verse 8 now, gives some testimony of his own personal experiences to be honest about what he went through look what he says verse 8 for we do not want you to be ignorant or unaware brethren he says of our trouble which came to us in asia which we were burdened beyond measure above strength he says so that we despaired even of life yes he says we had the sentence of death in ourselves that's called honesty Paul's saying, look, we don't want you to not be aware. He says, we want to be honest that at times we went through some real hardships. He references there in verse 8, a time, he says, when they experienced trouble that came to them in Asia. Now, Paul doesn't specifically state what that trouble was, trial, hardship, challenge. He leaves it vague in general. Commentators try and speculate, but 
if the Holy Spirit didn't expound, we don't know. It could be things happened in Ephesus, Acts 19, but we don't know. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit leaves things vague purposely in the Word of God so I can associate with it. So I can put my trouble into that. Because if Paul just said, this is exactly what happened, we go, oh, well, that, no, that hasn't happened to me, so I guess my situation doesn't apply. The trouble's general, right? <laughs> so no matter what your trouble is, hey, that works for me. I've had some trouble. I'm having some trouble. And I think God does that purposely. So here Paul says, look, we want you to realize, and whatever the circumstance was that was causing trouble, it apparently was extremely hard. Because look at the language there in verse 8 in our text. He says, we were burdened, verse 8, beyond measure, above strength. Paul's description, he says, this difficulty we were enduring, it was a burden heavier than we could handle. It was a crushing load. It was crippling in its magnitude and difficulty, so hard, so painful, it was beyond our strength to handle it. We would say, it took me to my breaking point. It brought me to a place where it was just more than I could handle. He says, we were crumbling under it. And folks, sometimes, is it not true, life's journey can take us down those kind of roads sometimes. Literally, where we are burdened by some trouble beyond our own strength to handle it. You know, people like to say, because it sounds spiritual, God will never give you more than you can handle. I understand where that comes from. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, no temptation has seized you except it's common to man, and God won't let you be tempted in sin beyond what you're able, but will be faithful. But that's talking about temptation to sin. It's not talking about human struggle. That's what Paul's talking about. And sometimes we say that, and you know, people say, oh, well, look, well, I understand you're going, I understand your world's falling apart, but God won't let you be, t- you know, experience more than you can handle. Well, thanks, because I feel like I can't handle this. That didn't help. It didn't help. Apparently, the Bible says, you can choose the authority you want, the Bible says sometimes God will let you be burdened with something that you go through in your life that's more than your own strength can handle. But those are the occasions where God brings revelation of his strength and his help. So Paul says, this is where we were. He says, in fact, we despaired even of life, Paul says. The word despair means to lose or abandon all hope. What Paul's saying there is this was so overwhelming, we lost hope of even carrying on. We just felt like there's just, we don't even know how we're going to survive this. That's what he felt like. He actually says it just was that overwhelming. One translation renders this, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through this. Ever felt like that before? And you may be here this morning and maybe that's where you're at this morning, burdened and under something and you literally feel, I I don't even know how I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to live through this. It is just too much. And we can feel like that in the midst of the challenges and we're so overwhelmed and beyond their own strength. We're at our breaking point. Paul says in verse 9 there, we genuinely thought this was the end, the sentence of death. Paul genuinely thought he was going to die. Yet, notice what he learned through the process as verse 9 goes on. He says this was verse 9, so that we were learning that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. What did Paul learn in the midst of bearing more than he could personally handle? He says, here's one of the things God taught us through it. 
that self-reliance is wrong. It's not God's heart. He says self-reliance is wrong, that we should not, he says in verse 9, trust in ourselves, that we shouldn't ultimately rely on our own strength. Stiff upper lip. You can push through it. Come on, you can handle it. He says we learned that we're not supposed to trust in ourselves, our own strength or our own resources, that God doesn't want us trusting in our own fix to problems and creating our own solutions and scheming and doing everything we can because our reliance is in ourselves and our resolve and our ideas and our resources. Rather, he says, we learn we're not supposed to trust in ourselves. We're supposed to trust in God, that God wants us to depend on him that he wants us to trust and live dependently on him. Our natural tendency, is it not, folks, is to be very self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's human nature. We're a very self-reliant people. That becomes clear in hard times because when we go through hardship and then we get in that survival mode, we become ultra self-reliant. And I'll tell you this, self-reliance is actually a great hindrance to the spiritual life. It's a great hindrance to the spiritual life. Because self-reliance is actually defiance of all of who God's supposed to be. The one we depend upon. The one that we look to for everything in all of our lives. God is worthy to be trusted. And sometimes God brings us through certain situations to allow us to go through experiences where we're broken in spirit and humbled to learn that kind of dependency upon God. You know, is it not true in your life as in mine? Sometimes it takes human desperation to bring about spiritual revelation. Is that not true? How many people come to Christ? How many of us sometimes learn the things that are great about God that we never would have learned, but in the midst of human desperation, God brings forth spiritual revelation and he shows us who he is and what he can do. Perhaps the Lord has been taking you through that process recently. Maybe he's been saying, look, I'm trying to teach you not to trust in yourself but to rely on me, to depend on me. And why is God worthy to be depended on? Well, Paul says, speaking of his power, because he raises the dead. Paul says, if you're concerned, if God has got the power better than you do, he can raise you from the dead. To me, it's interesting that Paul picks that idea and imagery of God's power, because when a person is dead, they're completely powerless to help himself. And that's the picture Paul uses to describe God's power and why we should depend upon him. Because God has the power to help us when we're helpless, when we can do absolutely nothing, no limit. With God, the Bible says, nothing will be impossible. The key there is the two words, with God. A lot of things are impossible without God. But with God, when God gets involved, nothing, he says, is is impossible because God can handle it and help us by his power through those things. And Paul says, this God who is able to be trusted, he says, he delivered us from so great a death. He does deliver us, in whom he says we trust that he will still deliver us. Notice, Paul speaks of God's deliverance, past, present, and future. He says, God has delivered us. And he says, that's what it really encourages us. Hey, there's been times when God delivered us. He delivered us in Asia. He's delivered us here. And a lot of times we need to remember, folks, when God's delivered us. Because that's what gives us courage for the present trouble. He says, so God has delivered us. He is delivering us. And he says, and that's why we know he will still deliver us. That is, no matter what comes or what we may face, God will be there. 
with his power and delivering help and his grace to be sufficient in all those ways. You know, the deliverance that God brings to us in trusting Jesus as Savior is past, present, and future as well. Because the wages are what we earn for the things that we do wrong that's sinful is death. And God, through Jesus, delivers us from spiritual and eternal death as a result of our sin. Past, present, and future. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, God has delivered you from your penalty of sin. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, God is delivering you and I from the power of sin in our life right now. And in the future, one day God's going to deliver us from the presence of sin forever. Forever and ever. Revelation 20 tells us this. There's coming a day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And God makes all things new. Hey, let me encourage you this morning, until that day, despite what the storm may be, stay in the boat with Jesus, and he'll get you to the other side. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.